Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about the Democrats' Mueller hangover, Ilhan Omar issues some demands, peaceful Somalian jihadis kill Muslim journalists, and finally, a clueless on-campus update. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to today's First Five. Yesterday, we played some segments of Bob Mueller's testimony on the Hill. He testified in the morning in front of the Judiciary Committee and the afternoon in front of the House Intelligence Committee. And we played some excerpts from it. But I want to just talk about the hangover the Democrats have from that uh, today. Number one, here are some of the headline descriptions of the impact of Mueller's testimony and really the impression he left of himself and of the entire Mueller investigation devastating, embarrassing, humiliating, clearly ended the impeachment possibility. His testimony was both um, rambling, confused, uncertain of his what he was saying, unable to focus on a question, said he never heard of Fusion GPS. In fact, I thought one of the most astute observations was, as you looked at him, it kind of seemed like he really didn't know very much about the Mueller investigation at all, the whole Trump-Russia collusion. He didn't seem to understand what had happened. He's seen these facts that were presented to him related to how the whole thing got started, which is the, the investigation now ongoing, um, as to how the whole thing got started. He seemed to not have ever heard of any of it. So it was really, it was a, not, it was a, just the opposite of a home run for the Democrats. Um, I want to mention, too, though, that uh, just if you think that I'm exaggerating how bad it was, Shannon Bream, who is a Fox News, um, has her own Fox show on Fox News, she reached out via Twitter to 77-0 Democrat members of the U.S. House, inviting any of them to join her on her show to talk about what did you think about the Mueller hearing? How many people do you think responded out of 70? And the answer is zero. Not one Democrat wanted to come on with her. Um, and I think that's just it's hugely significant. And I think the Democrats have dug themselves an even deeper hole. Because ever since, before President Trump was even sworn in, the Democrats, especially the more um, verbose and untethered Democrats, have been telling their ignorant followers that we're going to impeach. We have grounds for impeachment. We're going to be able to do it. We're going to impeach him. They have people who don't really follow the news, don't really understand what impeachment is or what their bases for impeachment. You have to have, you know, literally, you have to some bases or reason for impeachment. They have literally millions of Democrat voters who are going to feel betrayed unless the Democrats come up with some basis to impeach. And even Devin Nunes, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, was on some talk show earlier today and just kind of said, you know, I can't really see it. I didn't get grounds for impeachment out of that hearing. He tried to put, you know, a pig on a, uh, lipstick on a pig and say, well, American people heard that Bob Mueller, after all, and all he was doing was repeating talking points everyone already knew that were in the Mueller report. So it was a big um, blowback against, pre against the Democrats, against the Mueller investigation, against Bob Mueller uh, personally. One good thing I want to mention out of it 
was, and we talked about it yesterday, was that the, um, there was a great, great point made by Congressman Jim Jordan in his questioning in the morning in the House Judiciary Committee, where he basically asked Bob Mueller, how is it you managed to prosecute a whole litany of people? He listed the people, we played the clip yesterday, listed the people that the Mueller team chose to indict and prosecute for lying to the FBI for giving a false answer and, and many of them were ridiculously inconsequential false answers but you Bob Mueller your team did not even think about apparently filing um, any charges against this Mifsud character Mifsud being the one you likely know if you follow the show very much but Mifsud being the one truly the core central guy who got the whole Trump Russia collusion hoax started, the one who planted the seeds in meetings. So ultimately, Papadopoulos comes back, makes statements at some meeting, which, and then in turn, the person he spoke to, the Austri some Australian diplomat, uh, called the FBI and said, hey, I think the Trump team might have Hillary's emails. All of that story planted by the FBI operative Mifsud. And in the Mueller report, Mueller even said, you know, he accounted three times when Mifsud lied to the FBI during the course of the investigation, and yet there was no prosecution of Mifsud. Jordan saying, basically, you prosecuted everybody who possibly would have helped Trump, who supported Trump, who was on Trump's team, for some of them relatively, you know, really concocted, contrived accusations of lying, and you couldn't prosecute Mifsud. So one good thing that came out was just interesting. Uh, Joe DeGeneva, who is a, a, a prominent uh, attorney in Washington, D.C., is a former U.S. attorney for Washington, D.C., uh, said on a talk show yesterday, I think, on Lou Dobbs, yeah, he said that he, along with his um, wife and other, also prominent attorney, Victor, Victoria Ten, um, Tensing, excuse me, they both said on Lou Dobbs' show that indeed both U.S. Attorney John Durham, and that is the one that Attorney General Barr has looking into the beginnings, the predicate, like how did we get here, the very beginnings of how did this whole Trump-Russia collusion hoax get started. So he said both Durham and also Inspector General Michael Horowitz, whose job it is to come up with, he's the Inspector General for the FBI, he's supposed to come up with a report later. He said both of them have talked to um, Mifsud. So Mifsud is maybe not off the hook. I don't know about that. But the whole um, you know, closing point in the first five days, and probably the most important point is this. The term impeachment has been thrown around by truly, deeply irresponsible members of the United States Congress and members of the media seeming to feed and foment among less informed Americans that somehow because you don't like President Trump or you kind of wish he hadn't won or you're on Hillary's side or you think maybe these unfounded accusations of racism are justified, those people in Washington have fed the belief into some sector of the American people that just because you don't like President Trump and you don't like his personality, that that is grounds for impeachment. And there is really, this is a teachable moment for America. It would be a wonderful thing if there'd be some Democrat official willing to speak up and in a broad-based, clear way explain, we can't just impeach President Trump because you don't like him. And we can't just impeach him because you really want Hillary to win or because you thought the Trump-Russia collusion hoax was true. It turns out it wasn't. 
there needs to be a serious conversation, a serious return of respect for the concept of the seriousness of the idea of impeachment. The Constitution did not include it as a means of just a political weapon to clobber your opponent with just because you don't like him. That would be a healthy thing for America. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, about whom we've spoken many times on this show, Ilhan Omar, she's a Democrat member of Congress from Minnesota. She's a Somalian refugee. She is Muslim. She is one of the four, the squad, the term that President Trump has been using for the four freshman members uh, of the U.S. Congress, all Democrat, all vitriolically, vitriolically, I have full of vitriol and hatred, attack on America over and over and over. And so Trump has been calling the squad. But Ilhan Omar is among the I don't know how you even choose. She's a very, very difficult character, very critical of the country, very critical of America, very condescending toward America's culture, politics, people, the whole country. Ilhan Omar actually had a New York Times op-ed printed today. And the reason I want to talk about it is I want to tell you what she's saying and then what our response should be as a responsible people in America. Ilhan Omar published an essay, got an editorial published in the New York Times titled, It is Not Enough to Condemn Trump's Racism. What she's talking about is that President Trump at a rally in Florida, I think it was, this was after the time his tweets, it was saying to the freshman four, the squad, you know, if you don't like it here, you can leave, or uh, words to that effect. So people in this rally, some people that Trump did not lead the chant, but some people in the rally were chanting, send her back. So Ilhan Omar used that chant, which even President Trump said, no, I don't think they should have chanted that. You know, he didn't lead it, but that is what the people said. So Ilhan Omar's New York Times opinion piece is based on that incident in Florida. And she basically is saying she's again attacking all of America. She is just, she's calling, she talks about, makes comparisons to demagogues throughout world history, use, use their own power, their state power, to target minority communities. Um, she doesn't give Trump any credit for saying, yeah, I didn't think that was a good chant. You know, there's a lot of other chants he does, that people do he does like, like USA, but, you know, she doesn't give any credit for that. But she actually says, this is Ilhan Omar speaking, last week as President Trump watched the crowd, blah, blah, the president's rally will be a defining moment in American history. She actually says there are grave stakes in the upcoming presidential election. This is not a fight about mere policy. It's a fight for the soul of our nation. And she talks about the ideals that are at the heart of our founding. Equal protection under the law, pluralism, religious liberty are under attack. It's time for us all to stand up and defend them. She goes on and on. There's so many points to make out of what she had to say that are so outrageously hypocritical, outrageously dishonest, and again, so impossibly hateful of America. To start with, she calls for honoring religious liberty. This is the woman who's made so many anti-Semitic comments on the floor of the House in her speeches. She actually gave a speech at CARE. CARE, if you don't remember, CARE is Hamas in America. CARE, the, the organization people like to think, is just kind of a Muslim-American organization to help people understand each other, build a bridge, blah, blah. CARE is Hamas in America. She gave a speech there. She is repeatedly, relentlessly anti-Semitic. And there's a couple of things I wanted to mention about that when I say that she's anti-Semitic. 
you can disagree with a particular policy toward Israel, or you can disagree with a particular action by the Israeli government. You might think, well, I love Israel and I defend them, but I don't think they should have you know, engaged in this uh, diplomacy. I don't think they should have taken this action. You can disagree. Ilhan Omar hates the idea that Israel even exists, hates the Jewish people, hates the idea that Israel exists. And I want to explain a little bit about where that probably came from. We mentioned a few weeks ago about Ilhan Omar um, being the subject of an essay, a really great opinion piece, again, in the Wall Street Journal, um, and it was by Ayan Hirsi Ali. Ayan Hirsi Ali also grew up in Somalia, also was Muslim, also had the experience of leaving Somalia, and she described in this brilliant piece of the Wall Street Journal that basically, when you grew up in Somalia as a Muslim, it is bred into the culture that Jewish people are terrible people, that Jews are horrible, that they should be killed, they should be hated. She, in this essay, went on and on. This is, again, in this essay, which you can find, by the way, at our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under show, go down, list the links, you'll find this in there, this Wall Street Journal piece by um, Ayan Hirsieli. She even describes the particular ways in which children growing up in Islam in Somalia are just bred to hate Jewish people. She talked about herself and being embraced by that too when her mother lost her temper wanted to yell at somebody. Calling someone a Jew was like the worst thing you could call them. It was the worst accusation, a hateful name you would, you would fling at someone you were angry at. She talked about theology of Islam taught from the beginning. Muhammad taught hatred of Jews. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, taught hatred of Jews, taught his followers had the, in the Quran hatred of Jews. She talks about the, they were, they were talked about the Jews were occupying the Holy Land of Palestine. Jews have no right to live in the country of Israel. This is what children growing up in Somalia, in Islam, are taught. She also went on to the theological, the political stories woven together, uh, pulled language out of the Quran and other places about how people are taught in Islam to hate Jews. She, one thing I didn't mention to you that I wanted to share that really relates to Ilhan Omar is, Ilhan Omar's family fled Somalia and ended up in a refugee camp in Kenya. And this is part of what Ayan Hirsi Ali explained in her Wall Street Journal piece. She said, the refugee camps are a zone of indoctrination for hatred of Jews. She talked about that the people who are stuck in these refugee camps and they're struggling and they're poor and they're afraid and all that, that the, the refugee camps, like the one that Ayan, that, um, uh, uh, Ilhan Omar was at, they are full of vulnerable people and Islamists, the term Islamist, those who believe they have the right to impose, inflict Islam on people by force and includes that Islamic mindset, the hatred of Jews, the hatred of Christians, the hatred of everyone except other Muslims. So she, Ayan Hirsi explains these kind of refugee camps where Ilhan Omar was. Refugee camps are full of vulnerable people. Islamists prey on them. The Islamists, the one trying to perpetuate hatred of Jews, they offer food, tents, first aid, education, and they've set up madrasas, Islamic schools, where the hatred of Jews is just taught to children. So understanding that Ilhan Omar, of all things, she is the one who is, you know, she just led the fight on the floor of the house to, uh, to support BDS, the, 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 effort, the effort within America, the mission within America to boycott, um, divest, and sanction Israel, to basically urge 
colleges, universities, peoples, organizations, everyone to do everything they can to destroy Israel. That's what the BDS movement is. Ilhan Omar supports this movement, and she's not even embarrassed to do that. She does it in the floor of the house. So here's Ilhan Omar lecturing America about accepting religious liberty. There are dozens of other things she said in this article. I can't get to them all because I want to get to my next point I want to make about her. But understand this is an ugly, dishonest, hideous thing that Ilhan Omar wrote and the New York Times, of course, happily published. One other point I want to make about what Ilhan Omar wrote before I get to what uh, is, hap is now happening with her is she actually wrote in this essay, this opinion piece, that she was giving examples of how hateful and evil America is. She attacked President Trump for his executive order trying to be sure that we thoroughly vet Islamic refugees before they come to this country. You know, we've been over this many times on the show, the efforts that President Trump made, consistent with his campaign promises. He was going to try to protect American citizens from having refugees come here from countries where there is a serious problem with Islamic Jihad. She just attacks the president on the idea of these executive orders relating to the refugee policy never acknowledging that the reason President Trump would do this is because there is a huge problem internationally in this world with violent jihad committed by Islamists. She can't admit it. She acts like, as she writes this, as though it was just bizarre, no basis for it whatsoever. Why in the world would President Trump possibly say we ought to be careful about who comes here, possibly have a mission to have a little bit more vetting done before we bring people here in America who might mean us harm. She never even acknowledges the existence, the connection between the teachings of Islam and the jihadists. And be very clear, Islam at its core, in the Quran, in the, in the statements attributed to Muhammad, the founder who is never to be questioned, Every, he's the perfect man in Islam, never can disagree with him. This has been filled throughout this world, filled with teachings from the time of the founding of Islam by mullahs, imams, people in charge, uh, people passing on Islam from one generation to the next. Uh, there's, there has just been a perpetual teaching about the virtues, the goodness of jihad, the requirement that to be a devout Muslim, you must engage in jihad, you must kill or convert infidels, you must hate Jewish people, you must try to destroy the state of Israel. In fact, I want to mention another thing about this hatred of Jews, before I finally get to what's really happening to Ilhan Omar today, but you know, there was a senior Hamas official, and again, Hamas is a terror organization whose entire purpose is to kill infidels, kill Jews, especially kill Jews. Hamas is just a hate organ, it's a terror organization. And CARE in America is Hamas in America. That is what CARE's founding is. But recently, and Claire always tries to deny that, in fact, Hamas, many people, including Ilan, Ilan Omar, will defend Hamas. But I want to just tell you something interesting, that people will claim that Hamas is really only violent toward Israel because Israel is occupying their land, that you know, otherwise Hamas would have no trouble at all with people of Jewish faith or of Jewish origin. Otherwise Hamas would be perfectly fine. The only reason they have any problem at all uh, with the Jews in Israel is because they, the, the Hamas people, claim that Palestinians and the, the Arabs really own that area of land. It's just a ge geographic dispute because Israel, because the state of Israel is, is located in the land that they think should be theirs. And that really is the only problem they have. But I want to read you a statement again. This is a senior Hamas official 
urges urged Palestinians around the world to kill every Jew on the globe. This is a senior Hamas official urging Palestinians to kill every Jew on the globe. And he, in fact, the speech was, this is by Fatih Hamad, senior Hamas official, our patience has run out, we're on the verge of exploding, blah, 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 not only in Gaza, but also in the West Bank, and if abroad, he says, a long time has passed. All of you 7 million Palestinians abroad, enough of the warming up. You have Jews everywhere. We must attack every Jew on the globe by way of slaughter and killing if God permits. This is a recent statement, July 15th, by a leader, a senior Hamas official, Fatih Hamad. So this is the faith out of which Ilhan Omar is saying, hey, we have to have religious diversity, and she, and she is in particular supportive of Hamas because she's willing to support care, which she knows perfectly well is Hamas in America. So now I want to turn what's happening to Ilhan Omar, which is this. Finally, in this country, we have someone brave enough to speak up, Judicial Watch, a wonderful organization. In fact, Tom Fitton, who's the, uh, I'm sure he's, I think he's the founder, he's for sure the president. Tom Fitton, fabulous guy. I've happened to have met him a few times. Um, he's a conservative, it's a conservative watchdog group called Judicial Watch. Judicial Watch has now filed a complaint with the House of Representatives Ethics Office asking for an investigation into possible crimes committed by Minnesota Democrat Ilhan Omar. These crimes, and again, this is, I'm going to tell you more about it. This is not a fly-by-night accusation, you know, flung off at the last minute. I'm going to tell you where it's coming from. But Judicial Watch filed a complaint with the House Representative's Ethics Office. Possible crimes committed by Ilhan Omar include perjury, immigration fraud, marriage fraud, state and federal tax fraud, and federal student loan fraud. And what he describes in this, uh, in his uh, complaint is, the evidence developed against Representative Omar was the result of a three-year-long investigation in both the United States and in the United Kingdom by Mr. Steinberg, who's a, who's a prolific writer about this subject. Mr. Steinberg and his investigative reporter colleagues, Preya Samsudar, Sundar, and Scott Johnson. It is supported by information gathered from public records, social media postings, genealogy databases, computer forensic analysis, unaltered digital photographs, discussions between investigative reporters and the subjects of the investigation. And the basic allegations are that uh, this is, first of all, just to understand, this is really serious. This is Judicial Watch, a, a very nationally, nationally recognized prominent organization calling on the House Ethics Committee. You got to investigate this lady for actual marriage fraud, apparently married her own brother, which was also at the same time an immigration fraud, giving him the basis to come here. Um, and then she had also a, subsequent, or a marriage going on at the same time uh, to another guy, state and federal tax fraud uh, related to those uh, marriages, federal student loan fraud. So here's the story that they have. Document-based reporting by Steinberg has developed the following information. Representative Ilhan Abdulahi, I think Abdullahi Omar, Ilhan Omar, a citizen of the U.S., married her biological brother Ahmed Nur Saeed Elnai, a citizen of the United Kingdom, in 2009, presumably as part of an immigration fraud scheme. They legally divorced in 2017. She gave birth to children fathered by another man, Ahmed Hersey, 
both before and during her marriage to Elmi. Legal documents such as speeding tickets demonstrate she was living with her C during the entirety of her marriage to Elmi. So she's married some other, or living with some guy, calling her husband, really married to her brother. Um, she requests a default divorce, and on and on. But I raise this to say, this, these allegations are not just, you know, she forgot to say Simon Says, she, you know, uh, got a speeding ticket, she didn't pay on time. These are serious allegations of real fraud, of dangerous fraud. And the reason this matters so much is this is a woman who is attempting to change America through her fortuitous election to the United States Congress and truly having duped the people of Minnesota who voted for her. I don't think they would have voted for her had they known this stuff. But part of what has come out, if you read, there's, I've read so much about it today, I'm kind of filled with facts, got to decide which ones matter to try to tell you, but in Minnesota, uh, there, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, which is a very leftist paper, has been ignoring the story. And there have been local writers, local bloggers saying, hey, you know, you ought to look into this because here's this evidence, here's this piece of evidence. Star Tribune just tries to keep it quiet, keep it low, don't want to be stirring things up. And, and part of the reason that they don't want to be stirring things up is because they don't want to be called Islamophobic. They don't want to be called haters. They are. They don't want to be to step into that you know landmine of you dare to criticize anyone like Ilhan Omar. She is nasty. She is harsh. She is retaliatory. They don't want to deal with her. But there's been enough effort made by this David Steinberg, by some people, the writers at Powerline, and the now Judicial Watch has gotten on board and saying, you know, Congress Ethics Committee, you have to look up this stuff. You have to figure out if she even has the legal right to be here. Because some of these uh, instances may be actually deportable. But whether she is deported or not, she has taken advantage of America's generosity, taken advantage of her ability to silence people who question her, and she has gotten herself into Congress and, and into America and into her status as a legal citizen, apparently through a great deal of fraud. And it'll be so interesting to watch where the House Ethics Committee would be willing to even investigate. Because the last thing they want to do is set off the freshman four who are for sure going to characterize all of these allegations as racist. This is what you'll have, you'll hear from Ilhan Omar and certainly from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, probably from Ayanna Presley, and most certainly from uh, Rashida Tlaib. All of them are going to call any inquiry, any questions, anything about Ilhan Omar will be characterized as racist. And I want to make a couple points about that. Number one, she is Muslim. She's forever playing the victim card. I'm the victim. This is just because of my religion. You don't respect my religious diversity. You're picking on me. Islam is not a race. Islam is not a race. And therefore, it's not racist for people to criticize or question someone. If she wants to say, I think you're doing this because I'm Muslim and because I embrace Islamic faith, then that's a different discussion to have. We can have that discussion. Just because you embrace Islamic faith doesn't put you above the law. The law is 
equally applied to everyone. As we heard yesterday, over and over and over and over and over in the House Judiciary Committee hearing, I'm going to guess also in the House Intelligence Committee, where every time they finished, the Democrats finished pouncing on Trump and trying to get Mueller to say things he didn't even know what they were talking about. But the Democrats, most of them, ended their five, a lot of five minutes with, and no one is above the law, and no one is above the law, which of course no one is. No one was saying anyone was above the law. But here they have Ilhan Omar, who's apparently committed very serious violations, and the Democrats are they're not going to want to investigate them. So we need tremendous pressure on them to actually look into this, to not let them get away with dismissing all of this evidence and all the, com the complaint and the, and the underlying evidence with the, well, you know, this sounds like a racist accusation. This sounds like Islamophobic. This sounds, you know, we're not going to do this. These are very serious things. This, this is, you know, were she a, a white old man in Congress, uh, the House, I'm sure, would be very happy to investigate. One last thing related to Minnesota, and I, I got to say, you know, it's a really interesting thing um, about uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, you know, has gone blue for a while. I have a personal deep fondness for Minnesota. I, I would tell you, my dad grew up there in Minnetonka, outside of Minneapolis. Uh, he had a big family. My mom grew up in Iowa, and big family, and they, a lot of them are in the Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin area. We spent all of our summer vacations growing up in Minnesota. It's a beautiful state. It's a beautiful place. And actually, there are some really good salt-of-the-earth people there. I think in Minnesota, we could have another discussion another day, but Minnesota, um, even though they've been voting Democrat and they've been voting, uh, there is kind of a labor union history in Minnesota that gets them kind of tilting to the left, a little bit of the um, you know, sympathy for the worker. And there was very much an effort by the socialist movement in this country when they came here and tried to grow socialist movement in America. Uh, Minneapolis was the headquarters of that, Minnesota was, and the pushing of the labor unions, which is, uh, you know, they go hand in hand, the socialism and the labor unions, they kind of work together. And they pushed this kind of ethos in the state of Minnesota that if you were loving and kind and caring, you know, then of course you're gonna be a, a Democrat. So they've gone Democrat for a while. But Ilhan Omar has caused so much consternation, so much concern, it is actually opening eyes in Minnesota. It's actually causing people to say, wait a minute, you know, we love the idea of you know, helping the poor, we love the idea of helping low income, we love the idea of labor unions, but you know, we actually love America. We want to be Americans. And Ilhan Omar hates America. And she tells us this over and over and over and over. And I actually think Ilhan Omar might help President Trump win the state of Minnesota in the 2020 elections. Ilhan Omar is behaving terribly. Never a grateful word about a country that took her in as a refugee, educated her, brought her family in. She you don't hear a word of gratitude. All it is is critical and in some way or another accusing America of being racist or Islamophobic or some other phobic. And just, you know, she's a very radical socialist. Ilhan Omar, she's another whole element of Ilhan Omar I have to go in another day, but you know there is this the expression the red green axis, which we talked about before in this show. But there is a real blending in this country of the radical pro-Islamist, like Ilhan Omar, with the radical socialist Marxist left, the Marxists 
and the um, the Islamists are very blended politically at this time. And she is a perfect example. Hannah Omar, a very left wing, very Marxist. If you read her website, her congressional website, you realize she pretty much wants government control over pretty much everything, and uh, big tax taxes paid in, and read the government's job of redistributing them, creating all sorts of programs. This is not a woman who understands a thing about the, the notions of America and the idea of freedom and free markets. But last, last thing, Ilhan Omar, before I turn to my next story, um, I just want to say that I think that there's a, um, a growing awareness, whether you did or did not find offense at President Trump's tweets that he said, you know, time to go home, whatever his words were he used. The left instantly pounced on that to try to say, oh, see, another example, Trump's a racist, he's terrible, he's a racist. And there's a growing awareness that he, what he's talking about, and probably even why the crowd was chanting, but what he's talking about, and more and more people are starting to talk about, is the idea that Ilhan Omar and AOC and Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley, those four, the freshman four, the squad, their ideas are un-American. We have to stop pretending in this country that advocating for socialism belongs in America. We have to call it un-American. We have to be able not just to fling a label at it as un-American, but to describe how inconsistent socialism is with the fundamental founding ideas of America of liberty. How inconsistent socialism is with the promise of our founders of individual freedom. There has to be more of a willingness to say these ideas don't belong in America. And I said it about Bernie Sanders. If you like Denmark so much and you want to go be in, live in a democrat socialist country, go live in Denmark. Go live in and whatever country. You choose your country. Pick Cuba. Pick Venezuela. Stop trying to change America. This is a really important thing, and I hope will be a, a theme that is spoken about more and more. It's okay to say the advocacy of the, especially this red-green axis, is Marxist Islamist left in this country, which is, it isn't just like she, she happens, she, Ilhan Omar, just happens to be a socialist and happens to be Islamist. They, those ideologies have merged. They'll get divorced someday because they actually can't live together, but for now they are merged together. And it is a true force to be reckoned with, something to understand and reject and be able to articulately explain why it is so bad, why it cannot belong in America. And that, my friends, is my story about Johan Omar. We'll have to stay tuned where the House Ethics Committee has the backbone to speak up. Okay, I wanted to share a quick thing with you. There was a, a story I didn't ever get to, and I actually sent Matt, the wonderful producer, a picture. But there was a, 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 another Somalian refugee, another Muslim woman, who is a Canadian citizen. She came to Canada actually like 30 years ago, 20 or 30 years ago. She was a journalist. Her name is Hodan Naleya. I'm going to go with Nalea, Hodan Nalea. This is she. This is a picture of a very pretty woman. She's been a journalist in, Cal in um, Canada for years. And she did a piece recently talking about how she was going to go back to Somalia because she wanted, she didn't like the way Somalia was characterized in the news, in the media. And that actually, you know, she's, she kept her Muslim faith. She's in Canada. She's become a journalist. She writes stuff. She tweets a lot. So she wanted to basically make the point that Somalia is a lovely, wonderful, welcoming country, full of beautiful people, full of religious diversity, full of diversity of people of backgrounds. It's loving, it's accepting. In fact, I didn't send Matthew's pictures, but in one of the pieces I read about her, she did, she, so her point is she went to Somalia, 
to make the journey, to make the statement, take pictures, time to a photojournalist uh, trip to point out how wonderful and great and special and beautiful Somalia is. She took some beautiful pictures of children and of, you know, markets and natural wonders and dogs and, uh, not dogs, I'm sorry, but, you know, animals. Anyway, the point of it is, uh, and, and fish, people who, who are uh, working as working fishing and their fishing boats. So she does this whole thing to go over to Somalia to tell the West, look how wonderful Somali is. It's fine here. And sadly, and truly tragically, she was killed by terrorists, by jihadists, by Islamic terrorists. And so, and she's even Muslim, as you could see. And I want to tell this story just to say, it is extremely dangerous in our Western culture to let people who want to diminish the danger of Islamic majority countries, the danger of jihadist mindset, the danger that there truly are in this world millions and millions of people who follow Islam, follow the teachings of the Quran, which compel devout Muslims to commit jihad. The Quran says you have to do that. The Prophet Muhammad says you have to do that. Mullahs and Imams and religious teachers and madrasas all over this planet teach that every day. Teach that to people who grow up in Islam. And in Somalia, like Ayan Hirsi Ali was trying to describe in her brilliant piece, was trying to say the same thing. It is not every Muslim. It is not every Muslim. There are Muslims who do not do this. But the idea that you take your, the freedom of the Western culture and the belief in the goodness of people and look how great Western culture is and so you wanna delude yourself into thinking Somalia is probably fine now. She'd been in Canada and I, I, I apologize, I can't remember if it was 20, 30 years, she'd been there a long time. She wanted to prove to the West that Somalia was perfectly safe, just lovely, everything be fine and she was killed by terrorists on her trip in Somalia. And I, I don't say it to taunt her. I'm terribly sorry for her loss of life. She apparently was beloved and well-liked and had a lot of friends in Canada. But the idea that in Western culture, in America, in Canada, we live our lives so assuming that we can live in safety, that we're not living around people who want to kill us for no reason. And we have in America a growing population. Ilhan Omar is a good example that tries to delude America about the danger of Islam, tries to hide from America about the danger of Islam, tries to pretend, back to this little piece that Ilhan Omar managed to get published in the New York Times, she acted like she, it was impossible to even understand why in the world would President Trump have put out an executive order, a series of executive orders, trying to, and he didn't ban people from certain countries, he said, if they're from these countries that have an extreme jihadist problem, we need to do more serious vetting so we can figure out, are the people coming here going, do they mean us harm? It's the most logical thing on the planet. But in Ilhan Omar's effort to delude America, to hide from America the danger of Islamic Jihad, she talked about, she wrote about in this piece in, that she got published in New York Times, the idea that it's, it's just perplexingly bizarre, why in the world would anybody be put out an executive order saying be careful about people coming to America from these countries that are riddled with jihadist terrorists 
she acts like she can't understand why and that the only possible reason she posits the only possible reason must be just visceral irrational hatred of people because of the way they look or people because of their faith like she tries to, to diminish the importance of protecting America and say well the only thing that really is going on here is that Trump would have written those executive orders is because he wants to urge us to to discriminate against people based on their race ethnicity, national origin, or religion. It's all about skin color, don't you know? It's all about uh, hatred and bigotry. It's about common sense. And Trump was right when he did the orders and finally got them confirmed at the Supreme Court after the uh, federal district and appellate court tried to strike them down. But the point, uh, looping back to our, our Canadian, this, uh, Canadian journalist, there is an effort. Obviously, this Canadian journalist did not go to Somalia to be killed. She may actually have started to you know, believe her own story that everything is fine in Somalia and Islam is not a problem in Somalia and everything will be fine. And I'm sorry she lost her life, but it is a wake-up call to all of us to recognize when Ilhan Omar cannot acknowledge the connection between jihad and violence and the Islamic faith, when she can't acknowledge it, she is committing a, just a, not just a farce, but she's, it's a danger to America, it's a threat to America, it is the unwillingness to be honest about that problem in the world. And she's trying to make people in America afraid to speak up, afraid to speak up because she and her freshman four and many others in the left-wing media and Democrat media mob will criticize anyone who says anything negative about Islam. But we have to be willing and strong enough to speak up for truth. As, frankly, does the House Ethics Committee have to be strong enough to speak up and to say, you know what, this is, we're, we're going to look into this seriously. Ilhan Omar cannot defend against marriage fraud, immigration fraud, and tax fraud by saying Islamophobic. She can't, Islam, accusing people who investigate you of Islamophobia cannot be the answer that the Democrats accept. I really hope they can get around to being willing to do a very serious, earnest investigation. We shall see. And last story for today on this uh, Thursday, last day of the week I do this show. Um, I called it Clueless on Campus Update. I sent my wonderful producer, Matt, who really is wonderful. He's just amazing, helpful, uh, you know, just, just amazing. So I sent him a clip, and this was uh, from that uh, group, uh, Turning Point. Now, I can't remember which one it is. One of them, Campus Reform. This kid went on a college campus and he read, I'm gonna let him, let him play the clip and then we'll talk about it. Donald Trump announced this past week that he would be urging ICE and other administration authorities to seek out people living here illegally that had broken law to deport them. So I have a quote for you here that's been making the rounds on social media about the deportation of criminal illegal aliens. Uh, I think that policy comes from a place of like white American nationalism. Donald Trump has kind of like embraced this rhetoric of like racism and xenophobia that is not be beneficial to our country at all. I don't think that that quote really stands true. This administration has totally not done anything moral. This is really awful. Amnesty does not necessarily mean that we're losing border security. I think that Trump feels that way. We just have to advocate for those kinds of people. People like in Congress, like Ocasio-Cortez, who is helping people um, overcome these kinds of things. Crimes do not nullify your humanity, and people are coming here in search of opportunity. I'm going to show you the person that said that quote. <laughs> is that surprising? Yeah, a little bit. Why is that surprising? Because I thought it was the Trump administration that said something like that. Yeah, it's quite surprising. Do you think it's still a practice of white nationalism, though, to deport criminal legal aliens? 
I think the way Trump's doing it, it is. Okay. What? But uh, President Obama, to this to this point in Trump's presidency, Obama actually deported more people, though. So it's in practice, it was more from Obama, though. What's your question? I mean, it just shows the hypocrisy in politics. So one person can say something five years ago, and next thing you know, it doesn't apply to them anymore, and that they can now be the morality police for whoever is in charge now. I enjoyed that so much. Obviously, I had to do little clips. It was a longer um, longer segment, and you might enjoy it. And again, I think on our website, americacanwetalk.org, you go to the homepage, under show, go down list of links, you can find that clip. The reason I wanted to share that is, I, I called it you know, clueless, being clueless on campus, but seriously, those young people heard the words, word for word what Obama said, and it, but were told that it was what Trump said, and they were just, oh, white nationalist, racist, typical Trump, blah, blah, blah. And then when they were told, well, actually, these were Obama's words, and Obama has deported more people than Trump has as in the same point in his presidency, only that one kid at the last little clip, that one uh, taller big kid said, gee, it kind of shows hypocrisy. You know, you can do these things, and five years later, you can, you know, try to be the morality police for other people. Um, but the other students could not process. They could not, they, they couldn't say anything like, well, now that you say that, maybe I should re-examine my thinking about President Trump. Maybe I didn't understand things. I wonder why Obama would have said these things. I mean, maybe it's not so racist to have to deport people. But I love these things because A, they're a little window on campus conduct, campus thinking, and B, I hope, even though only that one kid at the end said, gee, that's, that's kind of hypocritical, I hope it makes all of them think a little more. I love these kind of things. And it also calls out, and the reason I wanted to tell you this story, show you that little story is, it calls out the need to speak up in your life, to speak up to people you talk to every day. If you hear someone say, oh, Trump's wanting to deport people, he must be racist, or you know, whatever you hear them say, to speak up and talk about, well, why is it, you know, if Obama did it, why is it racist now? I think there's a need, because this can become a huge issue. I don't think that we're going to, you know, ever get everyone on board to recognizing you can't, you, know, you must have secure borders and you can't have people staying here forever. But I think President Trump, one of the things he has truly accomplished uh, in his time in the presidency so far, he has shifted the American political conversation to where people like those young people who attribute deporting people who have no legal right to be here and have a criminal record. And that, you know, if you do that, you must be, um, you know, you're nullifying their humanity or some dumb thing. I think he's caused more people to realize, you know what, that, that's a dumb answer, buddy. We have to have better answers. We have to be willing to enforce our borders. We have to be willing to say we have laws that matter. Immigration matters. Citizenship matters. This issue of border security and, and really exposing the left's complete unwillingness to in any way engage in border security or fixing immigration. They're just, they, they can't do any of it. I think it's really helped the American political conversation. We can all help in it too, and we should. And now, my friends, as I try to the end of every show, I want to tell you why the stories I choose every day will tell you why they matter to you. Our first story was uh, the Democrat Mueller hangover. And man, they, they are hungover folk. They were high, drunk on the idea that Mueller was going to you know, make it for them. He was going to pave the way for impeachment. And, and they got a hangover. After Mueller's testimony, Fox News' Shannon Bream asked 70 Democrats to appear in her show, Zero Takers, uh, this is the should be the end of the Democrats' Russian impeachment dreams, but a huge problem for Dems who've been building up unjustified 
irrational outrage. We need to have impeachment understood again. It's a gravely serious thing. We need to have the national political conversation with some adult leadership coming from the Democrat side explaining more to the American people that impeachment's a serious thing. We don't throw it out just because we don't like the other guy. We need to actually encourage dropping impeachment as a rallying cry. Ilhan Omar making her demands, America, respect, religious diversity, except she doesn't want to. The emerging facts and unanswered questions point to multiple felonies on her part. Immigration fraud, marriage fraud, tax fraud, congressional ethics violations. It is not racist to apply America's laws to Ilhan Omar. Democrats yesterday in Congress saluted in unison no one's above the law, so they need to understand neither is Ilhan Omar. The Somali jihadis killed a Muslim journalist. This Canadian Muslim woman journalist was on a mission to soften and improve the image of Islamic-controlled Somalia and was tragically murdered by Somalian jihadis. Lessons? Jihadists engage in violent acts. Who do that? They are following the teachings of Islam as set out in the Quran and many modern Islamic authorities. Islam is not a race. It's not phobic to be alarmed by jihadists. Ignorant denial of this truth can be tragically fatal. And last, clueless on campus update. The quotes on immigration policy when attributed to Trump were racist, white nationalists, but actually spoken by Obama. Yeah, the big um, I wonder if they woke people up. And all Americans, especially millennials, must wake up to the harm being played by the mainstream media, doped, duped by narratives, unacquainted with truth. Truth, truth exists, facts matter, which leads me to why I do this show. Truth exists. Facts matter, and I do America Can We Talk every week, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to try to speak up for the extraordinary, exceptional greatness of America. America truly is a gift from our founders. It is a gift, it is the most important experiment in human liberty that has ever blessed this planet. So I do this show every day to speak up for America. I urge you to do, to do that too, because America matters. Talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you